0: Every single player who's come to Michigan State since 2007 has a ring on their finger. I'm going to be a coach here for a long time. It's not over. It's just starting. But just remember, pride comes before the fall. You might as well just come out and say what you, you're feeling at some point in time because you know I can only be diplomatic for so long. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Spartans. It is Wednesday, September 11th, 2019. I am your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode on today's show. Got a good one for you. Should I say that. I should say that every day. Got a good one for you, even if it's not true. I love when people do that. Um, no, a good show today on tap uh, for you guys, in my humble opinion. We're going to start talking uh, some neon uniforms. Uh, Mark D'Antonio said something really interesting at his media day. Um, and I want to talk about my take on it in the room as he said it and then uh, sort of expanding upon it, where we're at with these neon uniforms, where I'm at with them, and what uh, the potential is for them moving forward, specifically this Saturday against Arizona State. Uh, After that, I want to talk about Eli Collins and what he does so well, what makes him a really good back, and just how he is kind of a perfect fit, it seems, for the scheme that Michigan state has transitioned to. Then for the third segment, I want to, I guess, make amends because I haven't given credit where credit is due yet. And you know, it's been a busy couple of days with shows here. Um, But I want to make sure that Brad Salem, the offensive line and Brian Lewerke get some love in the third segment. We'll kind of go through them a little quickly there. Uh, and just, you know, talk about what they did on Saturday, how it was an improvement over the first game, and just kind of where I, I see it moving forward with each of those uh, groups. So just, you know, a couple minutes on each of them to round out the show today. Real quick, one last thing before we get going. I've got a piece, Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, it's either up at Spartans Wire, or will be up soon at Spartans Wire, Wire spartanswire.usatoday.com. It is a film room breakdown of the Michigan State offense uh, against Western Michigan. I think I have it as a working title right now. The Michigan State offense was fun as hell on Saturday, something like that. Um, So check that out. Go in-depth on some plays. Show you um, new things. Uh, There's a few brand-new little wrinkles that Michigan State has added in. I uh, show you specifically some things Brian Lewerke did really well. Uh, some times when the offensive line did an awesome job. Sometimes when Eli Collins was outstanding. Some moments of great design, play calling, scheming. Um, so definitely look forward to that. It's a it's a pretty in depth breakdown of these different things. Got a lot of positive feedback on uh, these types of posts when I get into GIF making and, and sort of looking at film. So gonna do that and then write around it, of course. So look for that. Spartanswear.usa All right, let's uh, jump into today's show. Okay, so a lot of stuff going on. So much so that a top 40 basketball player committed to Michigan State last night. I don't even have time to talk about it. Uh, Maddie Sosoko, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's like a six foot nine center uh huge 7'4 wingspan and by all accounts is a really great prospect committed to Michigan State. So go check that out. Read up on him uh, at Spartans Wire if you want to learn more about that. But we don't have time to talk about that because we've got football stuff going on. And Mark D'Antonio uh, had a really interesting media day. He was very reflective uh, with you know tying Duffy Doherty's record for wins last week having the chance to break that record this weekend, it was um, certainly a different tone than last week when he was fired up and mad as hell. Uh, But he was reflective. Um, He was not, I don't want to, I guess, playful in a way. Uh, He was asked about his his favorite concert experiences, uh, and he took some time and got into answering that. And it was just a, a fun media session. And at one point, Uh, the neon uniforms got brought up and he had a funny reaction when he first saw them Um, he saw them in the locker room and said oh my god (laughs) it was just kind of how he said it like that and then the players wanted to wear them and he said they looked good running up and down the field making big plays um, so he likes them now Um, and then someone sort of followed that up with uh, they got to be one and done uniforms right and he kind of gave that ride Antonio smile and said I don't know maybe we might wear them this week We'll see. You never know. Um, And so that kind of... I wrote a story around that whole saga of him, his experience with the uniforms, his reaction to it, the players' reaction to it, and then could we see them again quickly uh, this weekend? And so I wrote that story, and then I threw it out on a poll on Twitter, at Will underscore underscore Hunter, 1L2 underscores if you want to follow me there. Threw it out on a poll on Twitter. And I guess I expected... So the, the, the initial reaction, all the reaction leading up to the game was mostly terrible. Uh, just a lot of disdain for the uniforms. Understandable, they're not the best looking things in the world. And so I, I thought, given the performance and just the the fun time that was had Saturday while they were wearing those uniforms, that would sway the poll closer to 50-50. Uh, I asked, would you be okay if Michigan State wore neons against Arizona State. So back-to-back weeks with the neons. I thought it would be close to 50-50. Right now, as I record, we are at 512 votes, with 78% saying yes, they would be okay with Michigan State wearing the neons. And I got a lot of response of um, superstition-type things. I don't care what they look like. I'm superstitious. Uh, I don't care what they look like. They scored 51 points, and we're going back to the well. Um, People are in on these. And that, uh, I I know it's not because they think they suddenly look cool. It's that we are associating good feelings with the uniforms. Uh, And I'm all for that. I'm on record uh, as saying they are the French bulldog of uniforms. They are so ugly that they are, in fact, fantastic to look at. Uh, And I'm just kind of a different, I don't know, I'm wired differently in some ways. And that's something that the fact that they're just so... I don't know, the colors conflict, they don't flow, they're not like sleek, they're just kind of bleh. <laughs> just like thrown at you, a lot of stuff coming at you, it's a lot to take in and it makes me like them <laughs> even more because they're just strange uniforms, uh, but the fan base, at least according to the unofficial, unscientific results on this Twitter poll, have done a complete 180 on these uniforms. And that begs the question could we potentially see them this weekend against Arizona State? Um, I will say my media credential tag has neon in it. The color neon is very prevalent. I have heard that uh, the original intent for the neons was to wear them against Arizona State, break them out for a national televised game, you know, 4 p.m. on Fox, a big game, Power Five versus Power Five. I had heard that there was pushback on that uh, once they realized that Mark D'Antonio could potentially be passing Duffy Doherty for the school's all-time win records on that night. And that's something that we need to consider. I've heard that the potential for Neons is there this weekend. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. I'm not sure if last weekend what happened with the... uh, The blowout of Western Michigan, the good juju with the uniforms, is playing into that. I'm not sure if Mark D'Antonio and all the people that care about him breaking the record, it being it like, think about it. It is one of the most potentially, if they win, it will be one of the more historic nights in Michigan State football history. The night Mark D'Antonio becomes the winningest coach in the history of the football program, there are going to be Many pictures taken that night, and those pictures are going to live on for a long time. Does he, does the program, does the athletic department want those uniforms etched into the history of this potentially massive night for Mark D'Antonio? And I think it's something they have to consider. I've heard that they did consider it. That's why they wore them against Western. The plan was to wear them against Arizona State, and it got moved up as to not interfere with the night. But like I said, I've also heard that they're going to be going back to the neon well potentially, and I there's a chance. And I just don't know. I'm trying to wrap my brain around all the different things at play here. I like the fact that it went well. I like rolling with the good thing. I like. I'm not superstitious in that way, but I think it's sort of a look good, feel good, play good. The players seem to like them. They played well in them. Let's keep it rolling, right? But then <laughs> there's this giant historical boulder in the middle of our path that we have to consider. And I'm like, is there a middle ground? Can they wear like the the helmets and the cleats and the gloves? Maybe the top with the dark green pants. Tone down the radioactiveness of the pants a little bit. Maybe that's something that is a good compromise. Maybe they just go with the classic dark green for this, this potentially big win. I just don't know, and I'm, I'm trying to formulate a take here, and I don't really have a strong one. But I think, man, it's tough to ignore the history that's on the line in this game, how big of a night it could be, and the fact that those uniforms a month ago were the most made fun of thing in college football. They're aware of that. D'Antonio even said, you know, people are saying this, people are saying that. I knew we he said, he said, I knew we needed to play well in them. Because if you wear those uniforms and you get beat by Western Michigan or get beat by Arizona State, you're going to get absolutely roasted for it. So that makes me a little bit nervous rolling them out there on this potentially historic night because It's going to be a part of the broadcast. It's going to be a part of the game day experience. There are going to be a lot of important people paying attention to this, like within the program's history. Man, that's a tough call to wear those neons, but I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. I've heard conflicting things all over the place. We'll see what happens, but I'm looking forward to finding out on Saturday. All right, in a minute here, I want to talk about Eli Collins and just what makes him such a good fit for this team And for the offense that they've been running. But first, I got to tell you about Vivid Seats. Guys, if you want to be there, history can be made. One of the biggest nights in Michigan State football history in the Mark D'Antonio era, the night he potentially passes Duffy Doherty for the most wins in school history. An incredible accomplishment. If you want to be there in that night, if you want to maybe see the neons, Find out what Michigan State's doing with those uniforms. You need to get to Vivid Seats to get your tickets. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events that you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the specific section and row of your choice, all in the easy to use Vivid Seats app. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows you, the fan, to earn credit back when you make purchases on their site. It is called Vivid Seats Rewards. You go to the App Store, Google Play, download the Vivid Seats app, and you will automatically be enrolled into the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, and every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater tickets and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. Enter promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That is promo code KICKOFF100 to receive a discount of up to one. dollars Hundred dollars make a memory that lasts a lifetime, and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Okay, so I've been a little bit, I don't know, derelict in my duty here as host of Locked On Spartans, and not spending more time on Elijah Collins yet. I think it's Wednesday. I probably should have talked about this a little bit more. I, I did a little bit with the mats, you know, Sheehan and Hapner. We did talk about Eli Collins. A smidge, But I wanted to spend a good solid segment here talking about his fit in this system and why he could just be the perfect back for this. Um, first off, it, it's important to note that he's actually a running back who has been playing running back his entire life. He was a, a star running back in high school recruited as a running back, was not recruited as an athlete, was not recruited as some other position, a tight end type player, whatever it may be. He's not learning the nuances. I mean, he's still learning, right? He's still figuring out how to play college football, how to play running back at a super high level. But in terms of just the things we like to look for, what makes a good, effective running back, vision, quick feet, The ability to cut into a hole, you know, the the whole putting your foot in the ground, getting north and south, being a decisive runner in the appropriate place. That sort of stuff seems to just come very naturally to him. And I would guess that's because he's played a hefty amount of running back uh, through his career. And that's something that, you know, Ladarius Jefferson was still adjusting to, Connor Hayward was still adjusting to. And they were spots where they sort of uh, came up short in different ways. Uh, I think both those guys are good players, and I think they both have roles. I think Connor Hayward can be moved all over the place, play in the slot, play some tight end, do some blocking, catch some passes. He has great hands, take an occasional carry, and be kind of a versatile all-around guy that that can be used in to create a mismatch. Uh, line him up in the slot get a linebacker on him. He's going to win that one-on-one route just like he did against Western Michigan. I like Ladarius as a a goal-line back. A short-yardage back when Michigan State uh, is running power when it's appropriate to run power for them. Like Ladarius Jefferson's a monster. He's 6'1, 230. Um, i stood next to him. I'm not a big person, but he's giant. He's just like he's sort of built like a goal-line back, a powerful kid. And I really like him in that sort of role. And so I think the running back, I know I was going to talk about Eli Collins, and I'm going to get back to him right now. The running back uh, room is is starting to sort itself out. You've got Eli Collins in the primary role. Connor Hayward can do some third down stuff, catch some passes. Ladarius Jefferson, short yardage. We'll see about Anthony Williams Jr. He looks impressive as well. Um, but Eli Collins is very clearly the best running back, the best runner of the football on this team, and I don't think it's particularly close at this time. And when you watch him run with the way he cuts, the jump cuts, he's got already a great jump cut. Um, He's decisive. His vision is awesome. It's something that like the, the combination of vision and patience that he has I think is something that is hard to teach. It's kind of one of those things. Either you got it or you don't. And we saw that type of running with Le'Veon Bell. Now, he took it to the extreme once he got into the NFL where he came to a complete stop and then picked a spot. But in college, you could see it with him. He would always find that crease. He would find a little bit of wiggle room and have quick enough feet to get him there. And that's exactly what Eli Collins can do. And he's got a little bit power to him. He's a bigger back than I I think you would realize because he's he's got that burst, right? He gets up to speed very quickly. But Eli's six foot two twenty almost. Almost two twenty. Like he's a big, powerful dude. And for him to be at that size with those feet to get up to speed that quickly, I think he's got just a great all-around running back skill set. And then when you combine that with Michigan State is running this spread offense they're they're fully a spread offense with a lot of zone running what you're going to be getting is defenses that are more spread out and linemen being able to just open up creases open up uh holes and instead of it being that designated area it's just going to be a hole's going to open up Eli's got to find it and he's got to hit it really quickly and that's something that he's really good at it's something that I think You know, like I said, Hayward, Jefferson, they have their strengths for sure. That specific move, finding the hole, hitting it quickly, hitting it now, and getting upfield, just isn't in their skill set. It's not something they're good at, whereas Collins is phenomenal at it. And the way he runs, it's like he's a shifty back and he's powerful, but he also has this like subtle wiggle to him where it's hard to get a good lick on him. Like, I don't think we're going to see him get just crushed. Like, there's a perfect example that I'm going to show in that film room piece where Ladarius Jefferson runs through a hole. There's a defender on one side of the hole, and if he had quicker feet, he could have slid and made a little cut and run through the shoulder of the defender where he's got a much better chance to break the tackle. And at worst, he's running over the dude and gaining an additional two to three yards before the guy's able to bring him down. But Jefferson's feet aren't as quick as Collins's feet, so he ends up just kind of crashing right into the guy's chest. Had that been Eli Collins, he would have put the foot in the ground, made a subtle move quickly, which is what he's, he's really good at, that, that suddenness is a good way to put it. He would have put his foot down, ran through the guy's shoulder, potentially broken the tackle, and tacked on a few yards at worst in that carry. And that's where he can absolutely thrive because he's going to have space, He's going to have lanes that open up for him, and with his patience, his vision, and his burst, he's going to be able to hit those. He's going to get ahead of steam really quickly, and then he's not easy to bring down, especially in space with secondary players, with linebackers who aren't as fast as him. Secondary players aren't as big and strong as him. He's going to be a problem to tackle in the open field, and again, I'm just going to reemphasize this, with the way he decisively hits holes and gets up to full speed so quickly. He's an absolute problem in this type of offense for opponents. And I think you know the lanes aren't going to be as big as they were against Western. You know we'll see it against Arizona State. There's going to be more traffic. There was more traffic against Tulsa. He did a good job at times evading some of that. Uh, I talked about like his 14-yard touchdown run that was called back against Tulsa was a phenomenal run through traffic, through some congestion. He's going to have to do that more. Uh, We're going to have to see it repeat itself, certainly before we're going to declare this kid like an all-time great, a a great running back. it's It's his job unto himself right now, but he could be a really good back or he could be a phenomenal back. And if he keeps stacking together, Efforts like he did against Western. He's going to be a phenomenal back here. And I think he is perfectly set up, and this offense is perfectly tailored for a guy with his skill set. And I'm just really looking forward to watching him grow and advance. He's got the tools, uh, experience is only going to help him. He's got one full college game under his belt, and it was an absolute lighting up of the other team. I'm interested to see what it looks like when it gets a little tougher. But I'm also interested to see what it looks like when he's got some more games under his belt, when he's really confident, when he's even more decisive, when he's even harder to tackle. That could be really exciting to watch. All right. In a minute here, going to jump back in and talk about Mark Mark Salem. I almost called him Mark Salem. I did call him Mark Salem. Brad Salem, Brian Lewerke and the offensive line. Give them their due credit Uh, after not doing so uh, the first couple of days here, similar to what I just did with Collins. But I need to give those guys some love because they deserve it for the performance they put on. And I think it was, um, I would argue, the best game Brian Lewerke's played at Michigan State since the Northwestern game two years ago and could be in contention for the best game he's ever played at Michigan State. So I'll do that here in just a second. Hey, guys, with Vivid Seats, make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That is promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Brian Lewerke was so good against Western Michigan. He made a big, dumb crucial mistake early in the game other than that he was almost flawless Uh, his QBR from ESPN was like 95 or 96 it would have been 99 had he had a couple more throws that were more accurate Uh, he missed Dotson um, on a touchdown pass late in the game in the third quarter was he threw it at his feet and needed to be at his knees, right? It was the right idea. Just missed it by a bit was a little high to Daryl Stewart. A couple of times will just wasn't inaccurate, but wasn't as pinpoint accurate as you would hope um, to get sort of, I guess like a perfect grade. He was great. He was outstanding. And the thing that impressed me the most was what he did with his mind. He threw the ball. Well, certainly, Uh, Wasn't asked to run a ton, but he he processed the game really, really well. Uh, The reason, one of the big reasons why it seemed like Michigan State receivers were just completely by themselves and wide open the entire game is that Western brought a ton of pressure. They are, like we talked about before the game, a blitz happy defense. Blitz happy honestly doesn't do justice how to how often they blitz. Um, when you blitz, we, we know the benefits, certainly the pressure that it can create, but it also creates a potential weakness on the back end of your defense. When you send a corner blitz, that means a safety or a linebacker, usually a safety, has to slide over and take the place of that vacated spot from that corner blitz. The same goes for safety blitzes. The same goes for a linebacker blitzing you know zones get vacated. There's a spot that is vulnerable, and oftentimes, if you have the right quarterback who can process these things, you can take huge advantage of it on offense. Like this is an extreme example, but nobody blitzes Tom Brady in the NFL because if you blitz Tom Brady in the NFL, he's just going to pick you apart. And to a lesser extent, that's what Brian Lewerke did on Saturday. Uh, I. There's so many passes. like I couldn't even count. I should go back and count how many there were. Where Brian threw directly into a blitz or threw directly into a zone vacated by a blitz to a wide-open receiver who had a great opportunity to catch the ball and get yards after the catch. It happened a ton. There were blitzes off the snap. There were delayed blitzes. There were blitzes from, you know, Wherever. All the linebacker spots, the safeties, both corners, everyone was blitzing at different times, and he would catch the snap, you would see him process it, find the blitz, throw directly into it uh, for an easy completion and yards after the catch. It was super impressive to watch him uh, go through that game mentally like that. He did a really good job on the RPOs, did a good job on zone reads. Um, made correct reads, didn't have any glaring misreads that I saw in terms of when to give, when to pull and run, when to complete the RPO and go out to the pass. We saw him execute two really nice ones, one for the touchdown to Matt Dotson, one to C.J. Hayes. That was kind of that crazy last-ditch thing, but that that happens sometimes, and you see the result. C.J. Hayes ends up with the ball all alone with room to run, and it ends up being... Um, like what, a 10-yard a gain. So uh, I thought he threw the ball well. I thought he processed the game really well. He had some really nice timing routes, which I highlight in the film room piece, so go check that out. I get into more of this. But just a really excellent game for Brian Lewerke, and he looked the, the part of a professional quarterback. He processed the game like a pro. He had the pocket presence of a pro. He threw the ball accurately enough And he threw the ball with timing. There's multiple throws where he threw the ball before the receiver was even like out of their breaks, even starting their break, like just really great job by him. The line was really good. Pass protection was solid. Lewerke was hardly under pressure. Wester doesn't bring a crazy amount of talent uh, to that end, but they did get home for a few sacks in their first game. Um, There was a play, I think, that they got pressure. It ended up being an interception. Um, a couple of, you know, a couple of pressures here and there aren't going to kill you. Uh, Lewerke didn't get touched except for once. And it was, uh, the roughing the passer penalty. So they did a really good job in pass protection. I don't even need to tell you that they did a good job in the zone blocking and the run game. They averaged like fricking 10 yards a carry in zone schemes. They averaged an absurd amount. Eli Collins, 192 yards and 70, and 17 carries. Uh, there's a play in the film room where Jordan Reed moves his man like five yards <laughs> away to create the hole. Just completely blows him away. Matt Allen moved way better. Uh, Luke Campbell was really good. Jarvis seems to be settling in. Uh, and they're playing in a scheme that certainly fits their skill sets. And when they're moving like that, playing as a unit, uh, opening up spaces, they can be a really effective line. Um, it's not the most talented group in the world, but they work hard, they're athletic, which is nice for an offensive line. And they have a coach that seemingly now understands how to get the best out of them with play calling and and personnel and formations. And that brings me to Brad Salem, who uh, called a much better game than he did. You know, the Tulsa game was like me, it was fine. It was conservative, too conservative for me. The passing game was much deeper. The average depth of target on Lewerke's throws, was three yards further downfield. They were pushing the ball downfield. Love the call to come out of the gate, throwing the ball 30 yards downfield, Uh, and from there did a great job mixing uh, plays in terms of we give them this look and then a different look to counter it. And then once they think they've got a read on us, oh, we've got a counter for that. Uh, That toss, little toss sweep that they ran in the first drive of the game that got them 11 yards. They play actioned off of it a few series later. Uh, You can watch it. It's in the film room piece too. As soon as they do that toss action, the entire second level of Western's defense collapses down towards the line of scrimmage. And Daryl Stewart is just, or whoever ends up catching the ball, is just all alone behind them. Um, It's stuff like that where you see a setup and you see it pay off down the road. All those inside zones then the zone reads built off of them. And then you build an RPO off the back of it as well. Um, they did it. They ran pretty much the same play, um, that inside zone for uh, Eli Collins, that 30-yard run, the second play of the game. Then they came back in pretty much the same formation and, and that deep, hit that deep touchdown to Daryl Stewart off a of play action. So just stuff like that. Calling a smart game, calling an aggressive game, doing a good job baiting the other team and then cashing in those chips later in the game. And I thought uh, after a mediocre start, Salem was really sharp and had a good game. And I'm really looking forward to see what type of game he calls against Arizona State. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to Locked on Spartans. We'll be back tomorrow. Um, uh we're definitely going to get into Arizona State, start with that. I want to talk about the 3-3-5 defense that they run, how it's different from Tulsa, how it's similar, and how Michigan State might go about attacking it. We're going to talk about Arizona State's quarterback. They got a true freshman quarterback, a great running back, a young offensive line. There are a lot of places that Michigan State can find real advantages against Arizona State. And then we'll just continue with that Friday, full preview of the game. I'm going to try, I haven't gotten a con- confirmation yet, but I'm going to try to get an Arizona State writer on the show for Friday as well, just like last week, to do a segment there, get some insights from the opponent's media, so to speak. So a lot of Arizona State stuff coming up the next couple of weeks, but it will be, of course, in the context of what Michigan State can do against them and how they match up and what this game could look like Saturday. So uh, reminder to subscribe to the podcast. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. Uh, thanks so much to everyone who is a new listener sending me um, you know kind words just found the show really love it keep going all that stuff I really appreciate all the kind words that I've been getting from you guys like I've been saying uh, this has been a really fun process and I'm really enjoying doing the show and glad that so many people are finding it interesting entertaining helpful informative whatever throw out a uh, a adjective uh, and I'm glad to hear it so thanks so much to all of you for tuning into today's show, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Locked Spartans. We will see you then.